Welcome to this session of the Center for the Economics of the Internet here at the Hudson Institute. We're very fortunate to have with us today Senator Deb Fisher of Nebraska. Senator Fisher is the senior senator from Nebraska. She is also one of the great leaders of the U.S. Senate. She's a person that her colleagues look to when they need to get something done. The people of Nebraska are extremely fortunate to have her as the senior senator from Nebraska. The American public is very fortunate to have her in the U.S. Senate. And we here at Hudson are extremely honored to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Harold. It's wonderful to be here. My goodness, what a kind in introduction there. Uh, I should come here more often. You should. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Senator, tell us about what's going on in the Senate. What is keeping you up at night and busy, and what are the issues that uh, uh, the Senate will be focused on for the next few weeks? What's going on in the Senate is that we're working, which is uh, very, very nice. This is my third year in the United States Senate. My first two years, it was uh, pretty frustrating because I thought coming to the Senate, we were going to have a an opportunity to be able to debate bills and amend bills and vote on bills. Uh, that didn't happen. Senators were not allowed amendments. That's just really a foreign concept to me. Well, this year we are uh, taking up major legislation. We are uh, allowing amendments uh, from both sides to be taken up and debated and voted on. We've uh, tackled some pretty big issues. We passed a balanced budget, and uh, it's the first time in over a decade that we've passed a balanced budget. We did the uh, doc fix with uh, SGR. We passed uh, a veterans suicide prevention bill. We passed uh, a human trafficking bill to, to address that horrible issue. We uh, passed the Keystone Pipeline. In fact, uh, that was done early on in the Senate. And in that process, we took up and voted on more amendments in that three-week period than we had during all of last year on just one bill. So, uh, so the Senate's busy. The Senate's working. Uh, hopefully, we will continue to be able to to do that, to get on bills that are, uh, are important to the American people. You know, we, um, we passed the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, and that bill has been passed for over uh, 50 years in a bipartisan way. It's, uh, I think, a very strong statement uh, to the people of this country, to our military, and to our allies around the world, the, the priority that we put on national security. But even with that this year, it, um, it, it faced some bumps in the road, I guess you could say, in, um, in the committee process. But in the end, it, uh, it did pass. It passed on a bipartisan basis. But that, I think, is an example of uh, the challenges that we continue to face in the United States Senate, where it does take 60 votes in order to uh, proceed to a bill and then to get off of the bill as well. So you have to, you have to work together. 
What are we looking at in the future? Well, we, we uh, will take up the highway bill uh, and hopefully get that done this week. I'm on two committees that deal with our highway reauthorization. One, of course, is the Commerce Committee, which deals with um, many of the safety aspects, and the other is the <coughs> Environment and Public Works Committee, which, uh, which does the reauthorization for the highway bill. So we'll be taking that up. I'm, um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, uh, I'm hopeful that uh, we're going to continue to work together in order to get this accomplished. You know, we've shown we can do it on some major legislation, whether it's NDAA or the education bill that we passed last week. So, um, you know, we'll continue to, to work in that manner. When we come back, we, we have to do appropriations bills. We, uh, we need to address cybersecurity. Those are big issues. There's a, a, a lot to be done, but I, uh, I hope we can do it. Senator, the U.S. Senate for certainly the, much of the past decade has not been known as a place of a great deal of, shall we say, collegiality and bipartisanship. Um, and yet over the past, uh, in your brief tenure as a senator, you have co-sponsored, uh, I believe it's 83 pieces of legislation, uh, many of those with Democrats. Um, you succeeded in uh, having one of the few pieces of legislation passed last year in 2014. Um, even the, the local Lincoln, Nebraska newspaper, which I gather is not exactly very kind to Republicans, recently had a column saying very nice things about you. Uh, and uh, Why have you succeeded where everyone else seems to have failed in uh, kind of uh, working with your colleagues in, in this rather uncollegial place? Is this something special about being from Nebraska? Or special about me? Uh, or no. special about you? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I, always have to, I always have to laugh, Harold, because um, when people bring up the gridlock in the Senate and, and that we aren't working together... I smile and say, at least we're not caning each other. You know, that, uh, that has been part of the Senate's history. I think we've, we do get along, but we represent um, different, different parts of a polarized nation. And when we are so polarized as a country, that is reflected in the United States Senate. So... I've always believed that you need to look for ways that uh, you can work together, look for areas or issues uh, where you can reach a consensus. You mentioned um, a bill that I was able to get passed uh, in, the, in my first two years in Congress when I think only 12 Republicans had bills that were passed and signed by the president. This was probably viewed as a small bill. It was the e-label bill. And um, it wasn't earth-shattering, but it made an impact on, uh, on an industry and made an impact on consumers and their pocketbooks. But the way uh, we were able to, to work on that and get it passed um, was I, I really um, kind of targeted the committee chairman at the time, Senator Rockefeller, and, um, and wanted him 
to be the co-sponsor of this bill and uh, and I guess give it a little more oomph. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I think that's important. Senator Rockefeller and I um, maybe got off to a, a rocky start because I think I think he had a perception of what a conservative woman from Nebraska um, would look like and and how I how I was perceived to act in the United States Senate and um, I made it I really made a, a concerted effort to uh, to work with him and work on him in order to uh, develop a relationship where we could work together on a bill. That was a goal. My, um, my legislative aide, Josh Winch, who's here today, uh, he, uh, he offered me that bill a couple times, and I kept turning it down. And uh, Josh is very persistent. And he, he kept uh, pushing me in his own nice way, and I finally said, "Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, we'll make, we'll work on this." And um, so, with with some good positive uh, guidance from staff, at the beginning there, we laid out a plan, and it worked. I try to do that on um, on most of the legislation that I have, but there's going to be bills that um, I'm not going to find a Democrat to get on. You know, I represent Nebraska. I represent. Uh, um, a pretty conservative state, and I am a pretty conservative person who believes in limited government. So there, there's going to be issues that um, we're not going to be able to reach any kind of consensus, but uh, we'll continue to look for those issues where we can. You've uh, made a mark for yourself on these e-commerce issues. Last year was the e-label. This year you have your e-warranty bill. Uh, tell us about where you think uh, e-commerce is going uh, and uh, what role federal law has to do to uh, help it. Oh, gosh. You know, I have no idea where it's going. It's uh, developing so quickly and reaching across not just the United States but globally that um, – that I think it's going to be very difficult for government to even try to step in uh, in a role here. And I think, I think that's really important that we recognize that fact because, because of how quickly technology changes, I don't believe we benefit as a country. We certainly uh, don't benefit as as uh, individuals, as consumers, as, as small business owners, when, when government starts putting regulations on, on issues that they really don't have an understanding about yet. That's one of my um, biggest fears when it comes to con- uh, commerce and, and how we're going to grow the economy is that government may, may be stepping in and a number of agencies may be stepping in uh, with regulations where they aren't needed and, and where they'll stifle innovation. I, I take it there have probably been some recent examples of uh, federal agencies uh, overstepping the bounds of what you think would be helpful for the Internet? Well, that's, that's the big concern. 
you know, especially with the Internet of Things, that's a, that's a big concern there. When you look at um, health IT, you know, we've, we had a bill on health IT um, to, again, encourage innovation, uh, in, in, encourage uh, entrepreneurship, but also recognizing the fact that government uh, does have a role in protecting consumers, but it should, but it should address the, the true concerns that are out there. When you have low-risk uh, health IT like Fitbits, uh, should it take 18 months to, uh, to get approval on a device like that? You know, we're seeing such growth in these uh, health IT apps that they're they're out of date by the time you can get the get the the approval for the regulations. Now, when it comes to things like uh, MRIs or CAT scans, of course, you know the government uh, plays a role in that. But um, but I I'm more of more of the um, uh, side where I believe that government needs to uh, step back or we are not going to be competitive in the global market. A good example of that is, um, is I believe it's with Amazon, and Amazon looking at drones and the usage of drones. Well, they may be going to Canada to look at how they're going to develop that because of the time period that it takes here in the United States to, uh, to be able to uh, get approval from the agencies involved. Tell us about what the Internet means in Nebraska, particularly in rural Nebraska. We often think of the Internet and we think of Silicon Valley, but I assume that the Internet is dramatically changing rural Nebraska as well. Well, let me begin that by telling you where I'm from. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm uh, from the Sand Hills of Nebraska. I have, I have one uh, soldier here who knows that. But I'm from the Sand Hills of Nebraska from um, a county called Cherry County. I grew up in Lincoln in our capital city. I fell in love with a rancher at the university, and I've lived over 40 years now in the Sand Hills of Nebraska. We have a cattle ranch. We have a very large county. It's 60 miles by 90 miles. My, um, my school district was the size of Rhode Island and Connecticut. My, I was served in the Nebraska legislature. My legislative district uh, was the size of New Jersey. In my county, we have uh, about, I think, less than one person per square mile. So when you talk about rural America, I think I, I can speak to that. It makes um, having, having Internet access affects everybody in this country. But it, I think, has a special impact on rural America and, and the needs that are out there and the cost savings that we can see when you have a, an Internet uh, access that works, especially in the area of health, when you get into telehealth. And uh, I happen to live pretty close to my community of 2,800 I'm only 30 miles away, but, uh, and that's considered close in my area, but, and it's a small town. But we have, um, we have good doctors, good medical facilities, nice hospital, 
and you'll see that across rural America. But we don't have the specialists. And if, if, you, if your physician has to make a diagnosis uh, quickly, telehealth is necessary to have. I happen to believe that people want to live in, uh, in rural America. We see uh, a number of especially young families with kids moving back to rural areas because of the, uh, the lifestyle, the quality of life that's there, the education that their children are able to receive from public schools. There's so many uh, great things that rural areas offer. But to be competitive in business, in education, in health, uh, we have to make sure that uh, the access is there. And, and how is Internet access in rural Nebraska now? How is that going? Is, uh, uh, you served uh, in the Nebraska legislature, and, and as I understand it, one of your many accomplishments there was on the State Universal Service Fund. How, is, how are things going in rural Nebraska in terms of uh, Internet access? We're really fortunate in Nebraska with, uh, with the access that we have. Nebraska stepped up early um, with the 96 Telecommunications Act and established a state universal service fund, which um, we believed was the, uh, a requirement of the law for all states to do. And um, we have been very fortunate in having that uh, access available. But you're always going to find um, areas where it's, it's difficult and it's costly to, to be able to have that access. Even with uh, the satellite access that we have in, in my area, uh, it's, it's a little slower than I've gotten used to here in Washington. But um, if, we can, if we can make sure that that access is available, then we can continue to encourage uh, businesses and really, again, the entrepreneurs who work out of their homes um, to, to look at quality of life when they consider where they're going to, where they're going to live. The FCC is currently looking at uh, what they call uh, lifeline programs, uh, access for low-income households. It's a, shall we say, a troubled program in the past. And I'm I just wondering what your thoughts are as, as the FCC takes a look at the, the lifeline program. I think we have to um, consider the, like you said, the, the problems that this uh, program has had. Everybody talks about the waste, fraud, and abuse, and that has to be addressed. I think before we um, try to tackle any additions to that program. You are the Senate leader on the Internet of Things. Oh, I think you're uh, too kind. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I'm accurate. Uh, Tell us, what do you mean by the Internet of Things? And, and uh, uh, you've recently requested a GAO study on it. And, and what do you expect to, to find? You know, I'd love, uh, I'd love to answer this question by saying, uh, I don't know what the Internet of Things is. But there are people out there who do. And those are the ones that are experimenting and creating and imagining and innovating. Those are the ones who are growing businesses, thinking of all these creative ideas um, that, are, that are going to improve our lives, that are going to grow our economy. 
it, it all has to do with uh, connectivity and what we're going to be able to, to do in the future and how that's going to make our lives easier, uh, how it's going to change our lives, uh, hopefully for the better, as we move forward. Uh, there, again, this is the concern that when I work with my partners on this, uh, Senator Booker and Senator Schatz and Senator Ayotte, um, the four of us really are the, the ones who are, are focused on, uh, on this issue. And we were able to pass a resolution on it. Uh, we've sent a letter now off uh, hoping to get some, some clarity on uh, what the standards will be, uh, what the, really basically what the, what the national policy is going to be for the Internet of Things, uh, how, it, how it will affect us. You know, there is no policy on this yet. And until, we, until we're able to have that, and again, I think with a, with a light touch by government, um, there's, there's um, creators out there who understand that other countries may be more welcoming when it comes to regulations. And so I think we just need to be really aware of that and try to move um, quickly, but in a measured manner, as we address this. Senator, you've spoken about uh, various types of overregulation. In the U.S., we have several federal agencies that deal with Internet matters, whether it's the Federal Trade Commission or the Federal Communications Commission or uh, the FDA and uh, Department of Health and Human Services on some of the telemedicine issues. Um, is there a coordination problem that you see uh, in terms of federal policy on uh, on the internet, or uh, is is the problem not coordination, but rather just a tendency to regulate too much? Well, I think it's both. Uh, the coordination and communication problem with um, federal agencies and with a large federal government uh, stretches across the board. It doesn't just affect uh, Internet of Things. It doesn't just affect commerce. It, uh, it affects every agency. When you have, uh, I, haven't, I haven't updated this number, so I may be off, but when you have 37 job programs, job training programs across, um, I think it's nine federal agencies, um, we, we need to be looking at and we truly need to demand that we are getting the, getting the biggest bang for our buck. Which programs work? Where is it being effective? And, and which ones could be eliminated? I, I think, uh, you know, that's, that's an issue that I take very seriously in that we need to look at across a government. Of course, we see it with the Internet as well. You know, when I talk about uh, regulations and, and the uncertainty and really the discouragement that um, entrepreneurs face with regulations, um, that, that has to change. Or, or we won't be competitive in the global marketplace. 
Senator, is anyone right now doing that type of trade-off, uh, either in the U.S. Senate or anywhere in the federal government, uh, the sort of trade-off about which programs are needed and which may not be needed anymore? Well, if we went, um, if we went through an appropriations process in regular order, we would be able to have those discussions. Uh, as it is, um, I find it very frustrating that, that we aren't able to do that. The Appropriations Committee, um, they are doing their work. They are uh, sending their bills out of committee. But um, we've, we have tried to address one on the floor after we did the uh, National Defense Authorization Act. The next step we took on the agenda was to take up the appropriations bill for the Department of Defense to pay for what we authorized. Um, we were not successful in getting the 60 votes to get on that bill. Uh, I believe that uh, as Republicans we will be putting that appropriations bill up again to see if we can uh, get on that bill. I just, uh, this is kind of off topic, but I've, I just um, had to ride along and met with some firefighters in Lincoln, Nebraska on Friday afternoon. And uh, they were talking to me about their issues. Mm -hmm. And one was um, they, were, they were concerned because in, um, in the president's proposed budget, they, some programs they were involved with had been cut. And they wanted to know if I would be supportive of trying to uh, increase money to those programs, at least back to a level it was um, four years ago. And I just looked at them and said, I doubt if I'm going to be able to do anything for you. You know, and they kind of sat back. And I said, because I don't know if we're, if we're even going to address appropriations bills. It might just be a small group. Sitting in a sitting in a room and figuring out uh, what a CR is going to be. That's not right. That is not right. Uh, I am pushing as uh, as Senator McConnell is is uh, being very forceful on that. That we need to take up appropriations bills. That's my job as a United States senator. And and until. Um, we are able to do that to, to address specific appropriations, specific programs, it becomes harder uh, to address some of, these, uh, some of these concerns that many people have with um, duplication throughout our government. Senator, bef before 1974, Congress in a typical year would take up 13 appropriations bills and pass a good many of them. Uh, in the past 40 years, it seems in a, in a rare year, Congress will take up some appropriations bills, and all too often it won't take up any. Uh, what do you see as the problems? What, why, why is this appropriations process not working the way it used to work? I, th I think it goes back to um, how polarized our country is, but also um, how political um, many have become. Instead of looking at 
policy, um, many members uh, and the administration weigh, weigh the politics that's involved in it as well. You want an open and transparent government. But um, when you have cameras rolling 24-7 and um, people looking for sound bites to get on the news, uh, uh, trying to get out press releases all the time, uh, going on the, on the Sunday shows, um, I, don't, I don't believe that's always helpful for a serious policy discussion. And I think it, um, it tends to really put out more misinformation for people. You know, the Internet's a great thing. You can, you can tap in and, and find information on just about anything. But I always say to people, you still have to check your sources. You know, I can put anything on the internet, on any subject. You still need to check your sources so you know you have correct information. Um, anybody can start a blog. You know, for heaven's sakes, uh, it's kind of, you know, the old thing. Don't believe everything you read. And uh, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Uh, we still have a responsibility as individuals to, to make sure that we are informed and that we have accurate information. Senator, it was recently revealed that uh, over 20 million personnel files at the Office of Personnel Management were violated. Um, uh, what, uh, what do you think can be done and should be done to improve security of uh, federal employee files. I assume many people here in this room probably had their, their files violated. We need to have um, policies, first of all, on uh, cybersecurity and, um, and truly what, what an attack, a cyber attack, would mean. Uh, we don't have those policies right now. When, uh, when you have an attack, such as the one you mentioned, uh, all attacks are serious. But when you have an attack like the one you mentioned, um, there are, depending on how, infor how information is used and gathered, um, this, ca this can truly affect somebody's life, uh, life or death. When we, uh, when we see that information uh, that was possibly gathered. Many more millions were impacted uh, when, when businesses are hacked. But again, it comes back to what's the policy of this country? Are we, are we going to uh, take up a cybersecurity bill? I hope so. Are we going to allow businesses to share information with each other and with government without um, fear of, of uh, liability concerns? Are we going to make a decision on, on the seriousness of an attack 
Uh, are we going to differentiate between attacks by, by somebody in their, in their basement or by organized crime or by uh, another country? You know, there's different there's different levels. Are we going to look at attacks where where information is gathered uh, on the on the internet? Are are we going to treat those differently than attacks on uh, operation facilities on infrastructure? I mean these and again and what is and what is our response to each of those as a country? What would be our response to each of those? We need to have a policy on that, and I don't, I don't see that we're moving very quickly in a direction where we can take, take all of those considerations, uh, put, put them in mind on what our, what our response would be. Would our response be similar, um, similar in policy to what we have with regards to our nuclear deterrent? Would it be uh, different for an attack on a financial institution to an attack on uh, infrastructure? Do we, do we look at uh, deaths of Americans when we measure a response or is total disruption of their lives considered in the same way? You know, there's so much out there that... Um, that I think we need to get started on in having, having discussions and having uh, uh, really discussions between Congress and the administration. Senator, on, on those issues, uh, several of the attacks in recent years have, at least according to press accounts, been traced back to uh, governmental entities uh, around the world. Uh, and while there have been various discussions about greater protection here at home, I, I agree with you. I, I don't recall a lot of discussion about uh, taking concrete actions to discourage this action by foreign governments. What, what sorts of things could the U.S. government do to uh, uh, dis discourage or retaliate against, say, the North Korean attack on Sony or, or the more recent attack on OPM? I serve on the Armed Services Committee, and I chair the Subcommittee on Emerging Threats and Capabilities. So I have jurisdiction over special ops, uh, counterterrorism, and cybersecurity. And on that committee, um, you can imagine some of the, some of the classified briefings that, that we have had. Again, I think this goes to what what should our policy be? You know, there there are a number of nations out there who are getting better at um, at at a, attacking and infiltrating systems uh, here in this country. We are very good at what we do. We are very good at what we do. But there are other countries who are constantly working to get better. Uh, the Russians, 
are very good at what they do. The Chinese are as well. Uh, uh, Iran and North Korea uh, continue to uh, get better. That's why it's so important that, that we develop a policy because I think we're, we're getting close to a point where um, it, will, it will be close. And we will need a policy in place in order to ad address actions that take place. Um, what can we do? The United States um, could react in a number of ways, whether it's um, uh, going in to their systems to let them let them know we can, whether it's to do um, uh, a retaliatory attack that would be comparable. But any time that we would do something like that, uh, whoever we're going after learns something about what we have as well. So it's a, it's a balance there on what we could do. Uh, is it deterrence uh, where, where you would say if you do a major attack, cyber attack on us, we turn around and would do a major one on you, which would have the same consequences, if not greater? Again, that goes to policy and what, uh, and what we are able to do with that. I could go on all day with questions for you, but I'm not going to uh, punish you like that. Uh, I'm going to turn over to the floor. Uh, one quick final question, though. If you could give us uh, any insight into uh, how you see the Senate deliberations on the Iran uh, agreement playing out. Um, I know that everyone is uh, currently looking at the agreement and the annexes that were uh, sent over. We have 60 days in order to respond. Um, I, would, I would say all of my colleagues uh, take this very, very seriously. Uh, this, this is uh, going to have a, a long-term impact, not just on the region, but on the world, on what, um, what decision is made here. Uh, we will, um, I'm sure, hear from constituents during the August recess. I, for one, am, am um, happy that we have 60 days and not 30 days in order to uh, look over uh, everything that was negotiated. I think that will be very important, and I also think it's very important on what comes out in the press uh, that um, the American people will be able to see and will be able to ask us questions on as well. Senator Fisher has agreed to take a few questions from the, from the audience. She would take as many as we have, but uh, our time constraints are such, and I've taken up a lot of our time. Uh, uh, the Twitter uh, if people online have questions. Uh, it's at Hudson Events. And if you'd please raise your hand and identify yourself, Mike Nelson right here gets the first question. Mike Nelson with Cloudflare. We're a web security firm based in San Francisco. Um, when you listen to some of the senators, one thing you often hear in discussions of appropriations is the agencies are spending too much money on travel, particularly international travel. 
this is often a hot button issue, and yet many of the agencies you oversee at Commerce, FCC, FTC, and NTIA, and NIST, are doing some incredibly important work overseas. They're helping other countries understand how not to regulate. They're helping them understand cybersecurity. They're helping them understand the Internet of Things. And yet, we see these draconian cuts in travel budgets that's making it impossible for the U.S. To, to, to be at some of the meetings where we need to be. Is there any way to convince the average voter that sending a bureaucrat to Paris or Geneva or Tokyo is a good idea? Well, you haven't heard that from me, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that all travel should be cut. You bring up uh, uh, very good points. You know, we can do a lot um, over the Internet, and, and, but you can't ever, I believe, you can't ever replace face-to-face uh, -face discussion with your peers. I don't think you can ever replace uh, experiencing um, um, truly what is happening in another area of the world um, by, by watching it on TV. There are certain times that travel is necessary. I think that if, um, if there would be uh, better communication about the benefits that, uh, that people with the agencies or with people in Congress receive when they are able to travel and uh, and gain more knowledge, more information in a either certain area of the world or with certain issues, uh, we have to be better communicators on on what that is. Gentleman in the front here. Hi, my name is Jose with AT and T. Um, we see that there's a bit of a di di digital divide within technology. What, do you, what role do you think the federal government has in maybe bringing that together? Specifically, uh, with a digital a diversity divide. Issue. With uh, you, you mean urban rural? Uh, well, getting di maybe minorities into technology into the job field. I think a, a lot of that starts with uh, education and within our school systems. You know, I, I think that is very very important on what um, different school districts are able to offer to their students. That lays the groundwork not just with, uh, with technology, but also uh, in, in many areas, whether it's with sciences or uh, in, in job training. You're seeing a, you're seeing a lot of districts uh, look more into being able to graduate students who are immediately able then to go into the workforce. So I think it all goes back to education. I have a, I have a strong background in education. I was uh, on a local school board over 20 years. I was president of our state school board association, uh, involved in a lot of K-12 education. Also, uh, as a commissioner on our coordinating commission for post-secondary education and on uh, university president's advisory board. So it, I understand the importance of education. I think that's where you have to start. I don't, I don't think um, federal government involvement, um, I don't see a way right now that um, the benefits would be, would be any greater than working at a local and a state level with education. Uh, gentleman here. 
Uh, Two-part question, if you don't mind. Uh, number one, the House last month passed the Permanent Internet Tax Freedom Act, and some in the Senate, most notably Senator Enzi, want to atta attach the Marketplace Fairness Act to that, which is a sales tax for the Internet. Do you support that, or would you support considering them both on their own merits? Uh, and the second part, uh, question is, with net neutrality passing in February, there's been discussion by some, most notably Ajit Pai in the FCC and um, Lee Goodman on the FEC, about the potential to regulate content on the Internet, uh, perhaps by subjecting sites like the Drudge Report to FEC uh, disclosure requirements. Do you see that as a, um, something that is a possibility for the future, or do you think that's overblown? Thank you. First of all, I think um, the less regulated the Internet is, the better. We've seen, um, we've seen tremendous growth and, and opportunities, um, also challenges out there because of the setup that we have with the Internet now. When we look at cybersecurity, uh, would we have wanted the Internet built, designed and built like it is now? No because it makes it um, much less secure. But I think we can, we can deal with um, cybersecurity issues. Um, but once, once you start clamping down and really regulating the Internet, uh, it would be hard to turn that around, I think. Um, your question about putting bills together, basically putting bills together and, and how do I feel about that, uh, I think it's always good to have, um, have standalone bills so you can address an issue. Um, when you when you start throwing things in and have Christmas tree bills, it um, you may be able to garner more votes, but it makes it um, it makes it um, I think more difficult to justify your votes to your constituents because there's issues out there that I may feel very very strongly about um, pro or con, but when you when you're able to put something else with it, um, that muddies the waters. It muddies the waters. That being said, there's only a limited amount of time uh, that the Senate has to do things. Uh, in the House, it seems like they, they just pass all sorts of stuff. But in the Senate, you know, it takes, it takes about eight days for a bill to get through. Just the process is that we have in the United States Senate. So the most precious thing we have in the Senate is time. And uh, any, any, um, any time that um, the bills are delayed or, or you, um, you're seeing, I like to call them bumps in the road, and uh, in trying to work together on bills, you've used up that precious time which means if you're really going to get action done on a lot of these issues, you have to put them together. I promised Senator Fisher I would get you out of here by 10 till 1, and I aim to do that. I know there's a gentleman here who had a question for you. I hope he can catch you in the hall as you, as you leave. But please do join me in thanking Senator Fisher for just an extraordinary... Thank you. It's been very nice. Thank you very much.